think one of the most important traits when you build products is mm-hmm. you have curiosity. There's no one blueprint for success. Yeah. It goes back to a culture and a people, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you know what you're building is going to resonate? There's that right. research phase. When you are building, just because you've delivered a feature, does it actually mean like anybody on the other side, like does your support person even know something changed? I think there's a lot of products being really disrupted as far as what they were planning to do. So like what they had in plans for January, 2023, probably Mm -hmm. got tossed out the window to do AI things because it's the trendy, cool thing to do. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Feature Product. Today, my guest is Erica Jenkins. She's the founder, startup advisor, fractional product management leader, and overall product guru. Erica, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit more about your journey in the product management space? Ooh, it has been a long journey. So yes, that's a very uh, long introduction to the things that I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the, the, the short story of my journey was bootstrapping a startup. We led that to acquisition after about six years, uh, never took funding. So I'm very oh. proud of the fact that we were able to uh, to get to get it to that point and work yeah. with some really large global brands. Uh, that was acquired by a company called Sysmos. So if anybody knows sort of mm-hmm. big data social listening, uh, I took over as the chief product officer there for a couple of years and uh, grew that company as well and acquired again in 2018 by a, a wow. large global company called Meltwater. So I've gone yeah. everything from zero to hundreds of millions of dollars in product lines and everything in between. And so I'm just here to share some of my journey and knowledge of a, a lot of different points along the way. So yeah, no, absolutely. I uh, yeah, let's dive a little bit into that. Let's start with kind of the uh, the startup. Um, what was kind of the product? How did you kind of reach you know? Um, the value prop and how did you find that product market fit to, that led to um, kind of acquisition? Yeah, that was a fun one. That actually came from a personal problem that I had discovered, uh, which is one of those tips. Anybody interested in in getting into products or starting a company, find a real problem first. And it came from early in my career. Actually, was in sales and marketing. I didn't come from a tech background. But it was the the Facebooks, the Twitters, mm-hmm. the YouTube, social media was super hot. Yeah. And for those who back in the day remember a tool called Ping FM, mm. you could blast out tons and tons of content or blogs, and they would just take you hours to go find it and comment back if people were engaging. Oh, right. Right. So uh had a, a my co-founder had a tech background. We had breakfast one morning and I said, man. If we could figure out how to pull all the comments back from this stuff, um, that would save me time and I'd pay for a tool that would do that, pay for a yeah. software. And that was the birth of the idea of time savings. And so we went to build uh, ultimately nine social media channels. We had everything from WeChat partnerships. We were a Facebook preferred partner, uh, Instagram partnership. I remember mm-hmm. walking up to somebody at South by Southwest who was like number 11 at Instagram. and Oh, wow picking her brain and I won't name her name, but I said, man, I I need to talk to you. I need to come to San Francisco. We need to meet. Uh, So it was just a lot of heavy networking, but um, ultimately grew to some very large CPG companies. Uh, Coca-Cola was a customer, um, Hilton Hotels and all of their portfolios. So we had, I don't remember the exact number, but, but tens of thousands of social media accounts for brands connected into our platform. And it evolved into content planning, you know, publishing, pulling comments for customer engagement. Uh, we would compete against Hootsuite and Sprinkler and uh, okay. Buddy, Buddy Media that Salesforce acquired back in the day. So it was just really scrappy, but yeah. it literally came from a personal problem as a small business owner, and we turned it into an enterprise solution. Right on. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's, it's a recurring theme. It's actually, I talked about it in the newsletter this week, is um, everything that I've seen just in, in my time in my career has been that the people who are the closest to the pain point are the best at, at solving it. Right. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. So you came from a, a marketing and a, a more GTM oriented background, right? Correct. Yep. So what was the kind of transition for you coming into building a tech product? Was that jarring? What, what was that experience like? Um, I actually found it really uh, invigorating. 
So I think one of the most important traits when you build products is Mm. you have curiosity. Mm. And I sat in a very unique intersection because I could speak to the business landscape And thankfully, I was working with some brilliant co-founders. And as we slowly started hiring more and more engineers, Mm -hmm. I really would ask a lot of questions about the tech. Um, I am now dangerous with tech, (laughs) but I don't have, I I learned it from doing it, from being there, from from reading API documentation, from Mm -hmm. asking engineers, you know, why are we doing it? And I think that's actually been super valuable because I didn't get into the how it should be built. I was mm-hmm. always closer to the what the problem and why it would be valuable. I and see. so that was really, um, I think, what made me more dangerous mm-hmm. because I was closer to the user and I've always been very close to the customer. Um, and I think that's important when you're building Absolutely. something, you have to listen to your customers. You have to listen to the marketplace. And if you do it in a vacuum, you're not going to be successful. Hundred percent. How did you guys go about kind of getting those early customer learnings? Was it like a, a partnership kind of deal where you, the early people that you brought on, you learned from the most directly? Were you doing interviews? What was that like? Yeah, we had a beta customer. Um, it was actually an Applebee's franchise that had seventy seventy two restaurants, okay. and they were doing lots of direct mail drops. Mm. So it's kind of old school marketing, right? Girls' night out on Thursday to this location. That's right. Stuff, and they really wanted to try social media. Mm. So we were able to sit with them and build sort of a brick and mortar style kind of hierarchy in our software to match that business. Well, mm. what we didn't realize, um, and I'm very thankful for them because they were sort of the the birth <laughs> of the uh, the tooling. What we didn't realize is that business hierarchy also matched with global brands. Mm. So if you think about a global brand. Well, I'll just stick with Coke. Um, Everybody pick Coke instead of Pepsi. (laughs) We'll stick with that. Um, Coca-Cola, and a lot of people don't realize this, has marketing teams in every single geography. Mm. There's the global, and then what happens in the U.S. versus the U.K. versus Japan versus Brazil. Those are all, quote unquote, locations. And so we were able to use sort of the findings of distribution of a business model and then figure out how to apply it. And then ultimately, you really have to figure out, are you going to serve the brick and mortar because their needs are going to be different? Or are you going to serve these big, big global brands that are very right. kind of going through a digital transformation? Mm-hmm. You can't do both well. Um, so it took us a couple of years to kind of find the right market fit. Mm-hmm. But the technology was flexible. So um, that was just the hard part. To You, you got to pick your got to pick your persona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Took a little while to find it, but it, it <laughs> usually does. Well. Usually does, right? I uh I like that you point that out. It's almost so when when you're building for, you know, this uh brick and mortar based Applebee's franchise, a lot of people might see that as like, you know, a very early client, one that's like, ah, I don't know if this is the person we want to serve, but you were able to kind of see that, you know, hey, scaling this thing out for for this kind of pilot customer is going to allow us and, and kind of empower us to actually serve these enterprise customers that we ultimately want to go after, right? Right. Yeah. How do, you, mean, uh, how do you kind of get the insight to, to realize that? Oh, I, it didn't just happen overnight. Yeah. So of course, whenever you're scrappy, you know, that zero to 1 million, you take every single possible lead and customer mm-hmm. potential that you can right. get your hands on. Right. And I don't even remember who the first kind of big CPG brand that came to us was. Um, but we, in essence, we, we talked with them and said, sure, we come join us, come be a customer. Yeah. And then we realized that the things that they needed had similarities, but there was also much larger things. Uh, like as an example, they wanted emergency blocking for social publishing. Like if there okay. was a crisis, mm. everything, Right. the Applebee's of the world could care less. So right. the product features started to evolve a little mm. bit. Um, but I think it really was just that land grab. And then yeah. continuing like the first 10 customers we had, mm. 80% similarities. And then they start to ask for 20% of feature differences or workflow Absolutely. differences. And that's when you really got to like pick, you got to choose who you want to serve. So I think it was just listening to that customer feedback, Mm -hmm. but zero to 1 million, if you had a pulse and a paycheck and and you were willing to pay us, we would take it. 
<laughs> no, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, it's a land grab, right? That's a good way to put it. Yes. Um, so how did you, that's, that's really interesting. So so we're, we've got the company, right? We're scaling, kind of yep. reached product market fit at this point and, and things are looking good. What is it like when you get that acquisition offer? Ooh, uh, we had a really good culture. Yeah. So some of the startups that I have consulted with or just kind of lay the land talking to people, it's like the CEO or the co-founders just want to mm-hmm. grab and keep everything. Yeah. We were able to give incentive shares to every single employee we hired. Mm-hmm. And so our culture was all in where we were all collectively working together, right. um, which was really sticky as far as attrition. Like mm-hmm. I still have employees uh, from back 10 years ago that are still at Meltwater through the acquisitions oh, awesome. that we all had happened. So that was awesome. Um, so I just got goosebumps when you asked me that question. <laughs> the energy aspect of yeah. we've done something that's attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a few companies come to us. Due diligence is no joke yeah. when you're being acquired. Um, we could have an entire conversation just on preparing <laughs> for that. Um, but But it was... It was looking for us not to just get a paycheck or mm-hmm. a payday. Mm-hmm. We wanted to find a tool that would be complementary to what we did. And at that point in time, social media software was either the marketing campaign and measurement execution mm-hmm. aspect, or there was the online monitoring and so, like voice of consumer, the right. sentiment analysis. That's where mm-hmm. the early AI you know, yep. would come into play uh, before it was the hot topic. Right. And so we found that we wanted to work with a company that was going to create a better offering mm. with multiple packaging choices, complementary workflows. Um, and so that's that's really when we went through acquisition. We thought about we want to keep our team intact. We don't want want this just to be you buy a tech and, and fire everybody. Right. So we were really careful about the companies we spoke with and we we felt that we made the best decision. So it was culture, it was potential growth in the future. And it's really hard when it's yeah. your baby. It's really, really hard. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I'd love to kind of hear more about what that's like on, on even just a personal level, right? This being your baby, this being the thing that I'm sure you've dedicated so much of your, of your uh, early lifetime to. What's it like then walking in the door to a new company that, you know, has your product inside of it and, and being, sure. you know, the, the product leader as opposed to the founder? Yeah, it was really different. Um, instantaneously, you know, there was a little gap in sort of leadership changing and things of that nature. But overnight, I got a phone call that says, hey, you're now in charge of all of this stuff. Mm. Um, it was all disparate technologies. Um, you know, the Sysmos platform had a standalone, you know, user logs in, do, does their work there. If you came mm. to Xbeyond, you'd do your work there. It was actually a third technology called Gaze Metrics, okay. which was really early into like logo and scene and object recognition. So there was aspects of AI that was already there, but all the data lived in three separate places. Yeah. All the users lived in three separate places. Mm. So the first real problem to tackle is getting all of the different product teams to start to collaborate and discuss because they were completely siloed from each other. So, First thing forward was we're going to get everybody together into a room and just get to know each other as people. Mm-hmm. So it, that's the culture aspect. Right. right. From the culture aspect, there was a knowledge transfer because those who were savvy in social publishing and that campaign mm-hmm. execution had no idea what social listening was. Mm. And so getting them to understand the use cases, we really went through for probably a good solid month of talking about what a customer would want to do. What's a problem Mm. that they have? How can we, you know, inform to make their campaigns more effective? So it was really like teaching marketing 101, teaching, Mm. you know, kind of big data and, you know, how many ways can you slice a Boolean query to find a needle in a haystack? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was was a lot of kind of mind melding and learning. um, And obviously it ended up working out. We were able to, bring it all together into one big platform. And that was its own, its own fun experiment. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was actually a really fun time. It was like the second coming of me learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to learn new things as well, but I kind of knew the business problems. So again, yeah. I could apply that back to, to the user. 
Would you say that those problems scaled with kind of the scale that you you had achieved at this point? Yeah, the problems, it was it was interesting because this was also when, you know, early social media days. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to swear on here? It was a shit yeah, show. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a shit show. <laughs> Facebook would break probably mm-hmm. every other week. I would, whenever a new new version of the API would was coming or, or announced, I'd cringe because I knew that <laughs> I was going to get bugs because they were going to yeah. break something. Um, you know, customers were just it was it was it was a maturity stage, right? Mm-hmm. So we were building software that was dependent on this this third party data, right? Right, right. And so the problems there just grew because as these social channels were evolving and, and mm-hmm. more and more functionality, you know. The ads manager went through power editor to the business manager, right. to this, yeah. to all the things. Um, and so for us, it was more so we had to stay on top of the things that we were dependent on mm-hmm. and really choose what we wanted to build that was going to matter the most. I so see. it's the maturity of the space was different. The customers couldn't understand, well, I can go onto Instagram and do this mm-hmm. thing. How come I can't do it inside of your software? I see. The APIs weren't evolved enough. So there was always a lag time there. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it was just, yeah. it was yeah, like absolutely. a rat race. You had to always stay on top of, of changes. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's always so much fun relying on a, a third-party API, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, <It's> good times. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, okay. So moving along. So we're we're you know, facing these problems, overcoming them daily. And then second company is acquired, right? Yes. So now Meltwater, this giant company, you've achieved a whole nother level of scale at this point. And just from kind of reading your bio, doing a little bit of background, um, I read that you were able to kind of successfully consolidate a legacy software into this new unified platform and retain 90% of revenue. Um, can you walk it me was- through that? It, it was it was a fun time. Um, Melwater is a f- actually they've they've got their summit going here um, uh, today in mid June, but doing some fantastic things. It was a great company yeah. before we joined that yeah. was really about um, creating a marketing solution um, mm-hmm. inside of their product offering, and they're 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 very large, huge global presence. A mm-hmm. um, lot of lot of big brands that we worked with, but much more back in the day focused on corporate communications, you know, journalist relations, more PR okay. use cases. Yeah, yeah. So when when we came to the party, um, and again, that was a whole nother kind of due diligence and going through, right. couldn't reuse what we had used before because it was a whole mm-hmm. new product um, and a much larger team. So there was this this time of, do we, do we keep two separate products mm-hmm. or do we keep, I, I kind of use the analogy where you, you, you keep the uh, patient that's walking around alive. So you go mm-hmm. into a maintenance mode on the Sysmos legacy. Yeah. And then you move as quickly as you possibly can to build the best pieces and the best workflows. Because at that point, I had over 10 years of experience of what not to do. Right. <laughs> so what can we come in and go, we're never going to build that again. Mm-hmm. Here's the list of what we should. How do Smart. we prioritize this? How do we um, integrate into the culture of a new company, mm. much, much larger right. um, teams globally distributed, even in product and engineering. So there's mm. time zone differences, there's cultural differences. Right. Um, so again, it was a really, it was a challenge. It wasn't an overnight flip a switch, mm. but once the product was not perfect, but good enough, mm-hmm. that's really from a cost savings perspective, you've got to make that decision. And, and that was probably the toughest part because mm. then it really felt like my baby. Right. Because I had spent so much time and making sure the team was efficient and we mm-hmm. had gone through, you know, just just a lot of a lot of crap together. Right. Um, right. And so making sure as many of those customers would move, there was a, probably a good six month project management of cohort one goes. Oh, wow. Cohort two goes. Yeah. yeah. Cohort three goes. The last, you know, the last. Mm. however much dollars is holding on because they don't want to go and you just have right. to pull the plug and say you don't have a choice. <laughs> right. So it's a, it's a, it's a delicate path, but um, sure. no, I'm super, I'm super proud of the the team that mm-hmm. Meltwater's got right now. They've got some amazing products that I feel like I had a great hand in, in helping with. So. 
Absolutely. And I mean, it says yeah. a lot that a lot of the, the original folks that you brought on are, are still there, right? They're still there. Yeah. I still keep in touch with a lot of folks and, and I see product releases on LinkedIn and I send them LinkedIn message and cheer them on and be like, that's awesome. You finally got that thing we talked about three years ago done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that thing we thought we'd have done three years ago. It's, oh, there it is. Finally <laughs> happened. Yeah. Right. They, just, they, they just did, of course, chat GPT style. They've got mm-hmm. image analysis and they give you suggestions and they're making your, your social content all, all fancy and, you know, mm-hmm. extractions and all sorts of fun, fun stuff going on over there. But um, yeah, super proud of the team. And I decided to go out and see if I could, you know, help other companies through some yeah. of my experiences. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to get just kind of your take uh, of those three kind of scales at which you were managing product which one was your favorite? I have I have appreciation for all three stages. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to pick. I think my favorite actually would have been about four years into XB on the startup. Because mm-hmm. yes, we were scrappy, but we had revenue flowing. Yeah. We had fantastic customers. Mm-hmm. Um, we would we would pull customers together for for like a summit where prospects and you know throw 400 people 500 people into a room and just just good good connections and it was just a fun time even though we were working our tail I mean I remember sitting up QAing stuff for a big big meeting at two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. back before zoom we're all on cell phones like okay <laughs> I was checked in code for this I mean it's just everybody was all in so I think that mm-hmm. would have been my favorite was not my favorite at the beginning, but as right. we sort of kept it going along at that point, we knew we were onto something. And it's quite amazing to, uh, to retain full ownership there too, right? With, uh, yeah. with not taking venture. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible to, to operate a cash flow business, uh, yeah. that level of growth. It was, uh, we were just shy of 10 million ARR when we wow. were acquired. That was yeah, all. That's, that's pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Um, so we talked about um, kind of, you know, the, the pathways here, how you uh, made it to kind of where you are now, right? So, so then just to, to clarify, after Meltwater, is that when you went into um, like your own consulting? No, actually, I had a quick stop over at a, a competitive intelligence company okay, and uh, spent, spent about 18 months there. And that's really when I decided that from a passion perspective, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be stuck on a nine to five, if that sounds yeah. a little bit rude. And I had the luxury to be able to, to, you know, take some time and share knowledge. So um, I've been doing consulting for years, mm-hmm. but I decided to kind of dive in head first and see, you know, a fractional role to help another company or been LinkedIn and starting to blog more. And it's just, I've, I feel it in my head. I got to get it out, Max. Mm-hmm. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Trust me. So yeah, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, consulting, what, what has that been like, you know, for you being a fractional uh, product leader? What have been some of the experiences that you've been able to garner through, through that? Yeah. I mean, I've first and foremost, my, my inbox is always open. I've met mm-hmm. with, I think in the past two weeks, six founders some of them very, very early with just prototypes. Some of them who, you know, are struggling to kind of unpack their go-to-market motion or their, their mm. product delivery. Um, and so I think it's always first meeting people. And that's been you know, free of charge just to kind of continue to network and see what mm. other people are doing. Um, and that spurred on some creativity in myself that, that I'm very appreciative of that knowledge exchange. Yeah. Um, but I think the the number one thing that I have seen, whether it's through consulting or, you know, working with a lot of growth equity companies to come in and say, let me assess something in your portfolio and tell you, you know, this is going to be a good acquisition. This is a good investment. Something you've invested in is not working well. Um, here's here's why or here's some things you can fix. Yeah. Um, that's just really been fun's the wrong word because there's a lot of work that goes into that. Right. Right. Um, but it's interesting to see a lot of companies, you know, kind of that got some seed up to series mm-hmm. B have a lot of the same problems and it's mm-hmm. really about communication. Yeah. So, you know, planning, talking to customers, you know, mm-hmm. does, does the product person 
speak to the rest of the organization? Or are they just building in a vacuum? Mm. And so just I'm at this point, I'm sort of early and trying to figure out there's no one blueprint for success, yeah. um, but it's it goes back to a culture and a people, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you know what you're building is going to resonate? There's that right. research phase. When you are building, just because you've delivered a feature, does it actually mean like, Anybody on the other side, like, does your support person even know something changed? Mm. It happens all the time. Yeah. So it's been a lot of that sort of, let me help you make mm-hmm. your company more efficient and less on the strategy side of the business. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's, you know, that could evolve over time, but it's, right. I can't come in and learn your strategy or help you build a strategy in 60 days. Right. Um, but I can certainly I come in and go, okay. Let me learn more about the business. Mm-hmm. Let me help you figure out where some efficiency gains. Right. And then from there, if there's more strategy and understanding, I, I've already learned it from, from talking to a lot of people. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting time. Yeah, no, absolutely. sounds like it. I mean, so, you know, on the kind of product management spectrum, there's kind of, it, it's such an interesting role, right? Because it sits in between so many other departments, mm-hmm. um, kind of refer to it as, as the glue person from time to time. Um, and it sounds like kind of in your consulting, you've really been more on that like operations, efficiency, communication uh, side of it, being that connecting force between all of these different departments. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, that's fair. And like I said, it's it's just difficult. You can get an understanding of, of sort of the problem a, mm-hmm. a software or, or a, a company is trying to solve towards, but I mean, anybody would be a fool to say that you could figure out a, a, a complete strategy plan, you know, right. without actually sitting in it for a pretty, pretty reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely been more, maybe I should flip to be more of a, like a COO mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit, but there's a lot of that, like tooling. Yeah. Yep. How are you actually, like, what tools of the trade are you using? Mm-hmm. How are you, how are you capturing the voice of customer? Right. How are you capturing you know, something as simple as your support process. Mm-hmm. You get asked about something 20 times a day. Yeah. That means the product needs to be fixed around that. Right. So if you've never, t- if, if the product team has never talked to the support team to hear, like, what are you hearing from the themes? Mm-hmm. That's a communication connection that can help make the product better. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of like um, product operations. I've heard as, as a terminology for that type Correct. of role, right? Yep. And yeah, personally, I'm, I mean, you know, as a working at a tech company, I do think that a product operations person has probably got to be one of the more important people that you can have on board um, mm-hmm. because all of these things slip through the cracks so quickly and easily. Like you said, I wouldn't be surprised that a lot of these early companies are facing kind of the same problems as you mentioned. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and some of it is you just don't have, you don't have the breadth of talent or you have mm-hmm. more junior talent because you're trying to be scrappy. You're trying to save money, you know, so-and-so is, is you've gotten to a growth phase where the person just quite doesn't have the maturity to handle all the details. Right. And that's why it's so important that you don't have to go hire somebody with, you know, mm-hmm. 15 years experience like myself to be a full-time headcount. Take a little time, bring them in mm-hmm. for, for, you know, a day a week, two days right. a week for a couple of months and just form that relationship and help coach up mm-hmm. a team. Um, versus, you know, I had a conversation the other day with somebody about product marketing, you know, go to market motion. Yeah. It was a CEO of a $5 million startup mm-hmm. startup. They've obviously found fit with five mil, um, right. but they, they were like, we can't get like our, our release notifications process are, you know, mm-hmm. how do we, when do we externalize things versus in, right. and I mean, simple things like that. That's more of a product marketing motion, totally. but they don't have a product marketer. So just being able to help educate, and this is a first time founder who's going, am I going to fail? Cause I can't figure right. out how to get this worked out. And I said, mm-hmm. no, you're not. I can help you. Yeah. So it's just, it's the knowledge share that I'm really excited about right now. No. Yeah. Right on, right on. So uh, I would like to ask, so in your consulting now, is there any kind of AI tooling or anything like that that you use to, to kind of make these processes more efficient? Oh, the big buzzy topic of AI. <laughs> um, there, there's definitely aspects to it. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. These are more, again, into sort of the operations. Uh, AI for product requirements. Mm-hmm. 
that's a really interesting way. So, you know, here's a problem statement or support and release notes. notes excuse mm. me. You don't have somebody who is like a technical writer or, right. you know, you've got a support person of one who's trying to answer chats or emails, and Zendesk flow coming in, and then they're building articles, you know, by taking sort of those require the user stories or the requirements and pumping them through, that's a much faster way to at least give somebody a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's a really interesting one. Um, I haven't toyed with it personally, but I know um, a, lot, a lot of folks in my engineering um, circle have been looking at some ways that write, to write code. Mm. So being able to, you know, could you get 25% more efficient with your engineering right. staff? Right. Um, I saw that Figma just announced some mm-hmm. AI tooling in prototyping. Yep. Um, so I pinged a couple of my UX counterparts on that to be like, let's, let's take a look. So totally. it's moving so fast mm-hmm. when it comes to like somebody in my seat doing their job. Right. Um, it's still early mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. perfect, but it goes yep. back to, I think there will be efficiency um, in information and, um, you know, could it, could it get into, you know, is there going to be AI for tutorial walkthroughs? Like is Pendo going to announce something really cool right. or app cues or somebody's going to figure it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Send the user, let them record a video and then the walkthrough is going to come to life. That's the right. stuff that I think is going to be exciting. I see. I see. So that's kind of like the uh, fractional answer between now and, and then w- would you say that, you know, if you were a founder, so here's kind of, and here's where I'm coming from, is uh, there's, there is this problem in the AI industry right now, right, where the value is, is pretty much all individual, um, right? Mm-hmm. It, it helps people do their jobs more efficiently, but there's not a clear pathway to how does this provide anything transformational on the organizational level, right? Um, it might make your job X more efficient, but is it pushing these metrics forward in any meaningful way? Um, right. Would your recommendation be essentially let the people who are doing the job find ways to make it more efficient? I think for right now, it's <clears throat> some are, you can agree or disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think AI from a, from a people perspective, like mm-hmm. our jobs are having these types yeah. of conversation is it's a fun thing to play with, mm-hmm. but it also can distract from them actually trying to get their work done. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a balance there. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to productizing things, yeah. you know, like early in, in my career, sentiment analysis, which was like, you know, baby AI was the hottest thing since sliced bread. And then mm-hmm. it would move into, you know, entity extraction and being able to look for anomaly detections, which sometimes it feels like AI, sometimes it's just math computation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody spins it, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely AI, you know, from a marketing right. perspective, it's always AI. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a lot of products being really disrupted as far as mm-hmm. what they were planning to do. So like what they had in plans for January, 2023, probably mm-hmm. got tossed out the window to do AI things yeah. because yeah. it's the trendy, cool thing to do. Right. Um, but I think I would say from an organizational efficiency, mm-hmm. I, there's not a lot that I see that would like inform a company mm-hmm. yet. Right. You know, like if, I'm sure it's out there and I'm just not close to it, but, you know, financial modeling. So Mm -hmm. what do you think projections are looking like? Um, I think there's some really cool things that will be coming when it comes to like customer success, you know, Mm -hmm. probability scoring, being able to look at, you know, kind of user patterns and behaviors. That's a lot of charts right now that Mm -hmm. doesn't really tell you like something as far as an action that you could take or change. Right. So I think that type of stuff from my product Mm -hmm. perspective is, sure it's all coming um right. but it feels a little bit like a distraction right now um from from where i sit no that makes perfect sense and i, I love to get a diversity diversity of opinions here i definitely think that you know ai has become it's funny i, I do think that like long term we're going to look back on this and say you know this was a catch-all term for a lot of different technologies that were all yeah. coming into some form of maturity around the same time right but I do think that it, it's it's kind of fallen into the same trap as something like a crypto where, you know, something that has value but is not necessarily born out in the actual market yet is being blown up as the, you know, next best thing. 
Yeah. And it, it also is actually mind blowing to me seeing some of the funding behind there. Mm-hmm. There was a company, I just read an article last week, uh, I believe out of France that had over a hundred mm-hmm. million dollars and they don't even have a product yet. It's literally yeah. an investment in the, the knowledge of the people. There's like 12 of them. Right. So, you know, there's a, a whole different thing where this might be mm-hmm. investments in the human aspect of building right. AI and less about mm-hmm. the products right now. Um, but yeah, it feels, it feels really, I'm not, it's coming, it's here, but mm-hmm. I think it's still, it's, we're in that maturity curve. Like, you know, this is sort yeah. of the, uh, you went from the modem to dial up mm-hmm. to be able to have, you know, my right. computer talk to you not hooked into mm-hmm. anything. So we're right. in this kind of evolution phase right now, but yeah, I just, I feel like everybody just spins it and says the words, but they don't, you know, they don't really, other than watching my 17 year old try to use chat GPT to write a school paper. That's the only <laughs> thing I'm really worried about right now. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, that is a very valid concern for sure. <laughs> That's she actually taught. So, she taught me the other the other day. She goes, "Mom, there's a there's a checker," and I said, "What do you mean?" She goes, "I oh. just put my paper through it, and it will reverse engineer to see how much AI was detected." So I mean, these oh, kids, are, it's everywhere, Max. They're always the first movers, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! So that being all, that being said, what is something that in tech that you perceive as kind of if you were going to put your eggs in a basket, what basket would it be, if that makes sense? If I were to go do another startup? Yeah, yeah. Mm, I've actually been thinking about that. Um, so back to your question about kind of business operations. Mm-hmm. I think there is something to be said. Somebody's probably going to steal this idea, but that's okay. I think there's something to be said, especially as we've been in so many like layoffs and reorgs and rifts. It's been a really, really rough 12 to 18 months. Um, I think there is something with AI around people management, Mm -hmm. around efficiencies, around um, redundancies, which is Mm -hmm. a really negative thing. But as somebody who's gone through a few acquisitions, all of a sudden you magically have three people that all do the same thing. You don't need all three. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the nature of the business. And right. there is a bias towards, you know, well, I know Bill and I don't care mm-hmm. about Disney and Sally as much. So I'm going to keep Bill. When in reality, you really need to look at the talent pool of what you have. So I, I think there's something there with really like cost savings, being able to mm-hmm. look at talent. Um, a 360 review process is so old school, but it's so necessary for somebody mm-hmm. to know you know, how their, their peers look at them and how they can improve upon. So I think there's something there from an HR angle that mm. um, would be interesting. And those that's companies would pay for that because it's an efficiency right. game. Absolutely. So I might, feels boring, but I might put oh. my eggs in that basket. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, operations is never the wrong basket to put eggs in, right? I, uh, yeah. it's, you know, being at a, a few different sizes of company at this point, it is pretty amazing to see how similar some of the problems are, like you said, right? Mm-hmm. Like you uh, yep. you just inherit those problems up the chain. It's not like they ever are fundamentally solved when you gain scale. They're just kind of amplified. Yeah. Correct. So and very interesting. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you it sounded like you've got some a good number of kind of people coming in the door. Um, for your consultancy, how have you been able to manage building, you know, uh, a strong performing consultancy from the ground up? It's a work in progress. <laughs> it's the honest answer. Um, it, it's really been, I had, some, I had a few mentors that I've been working with that have been doing this for, for more time than I have been doing it. And I think the greatest advice was don't go, don't go try to build a bunch of materials and pitch it to somebody, build relationships and help them learn about their business. And then from there, you can see it with fresh eyes and help them improve their business. So that viewpoint, instead of me coming to, you know, pitch you to buy my book, which I haven't Mm -hmm. written a book yet, but you know, there's the, I want to sell you something versus I want to help you build something better is really been an effective way to, um, you know, to get a phone call or networking mm-hmm. saying, Hey, do you know, so-and-so 
would you make an introduction and here's what I'm, I'm able to help them with potentially and being very soft. And I think that goes way, way back to my early days with, you know, sales and marketing. Um, I was always a relationship builder, even mm-hmm. in that Instagram story, when I walked up right. to uh, the person at South by, um, mm-hmm. it's always about finding somebody and making them feel good that you're helping instead of making them not want to buy something, even though they need mm-hmm. it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's a, I I ran a marketing agency for a little bit and I definitely, I I love your perspective there, right? Because if you're the person who's going in saying, Hey, all this stuff is broken. Here's how I can fix it for you. Not, not a winning pitch, right? No. But if you can go in and say, Hey, I, I noticed these things. Here's some of the ways that together we can kind of, you know, solve these problems for you. It's definitely a more effective approach. Has most of your growth been through outbound or or content, a mix of the two? Um, it's been a it's been a mix. Um, a lot. Quite honestly, I'm very very thankful. I've I've always fostered my network, mm. and so one of the tactics that's really recently, um, it's been less about me building content. I'm, I'm mm. consistent. Yeah. Um, I try to do that. I try. I, I learn every day. Sometimes I get a little off theme. And so really t- taking some time to go, what do I want to be known yeah. for? Um, what is my core competency or the things mm-hmm. I can share with others? Yeah. But I've, I've gone less to my content right now mm-hmm. and more so out to people around topics. So using mm-hmm. hashtags on LinkedIn, people talking about startups or startup founders, people talking about product operations, product mm-hmm. management, um, and really trying to move outside of my people, you know, first, mm-hmm. second degree type type relationships. Right. Um, and so when I show up and actually give a value statement back to something, it inspires mm-hmm. me, which usually leads to content that I can talk about. But it also builds a relationship where I can start to learn from more people. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's really been kind of that soft outreach. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, slide into a DM to going, hey. Would love to actually see a product of your demo, which is how I met that founder that I discussed oh, earlier, saying, "Can you just show it to me? Yeah, give you some fresh perspective if you like it. Great. If not, no big deal." Gotcha. No, that makes perfect sense. So it's you almost approach it like a. I mean, it makes sense, right? You're a you're a product person, so you you go in and you you kind of take learnings the same way you do you would do with a product, and then you approach it kind of from first principles. Correct. That makes perfect sense. Do you feel yourself being closer to that kind of product person now that you've you've seen so many different companies experienced, you know, the growth trajectories of so many? Or do you feel more, I guess, uh, I do think that there's, when I was in it, at least in consulting, there's a certain aspect of outside, if that makes sense. You're, mm-hmm. you're outside the company, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been... It goes back to people, right? Every time you're working with somebody, their styles are different. You have to learn communication. Uh, another interesting tactic is you have to learn how they listen. Mm. So are they a visual learner? Are they, right. you know, I need to touch it. I need to feel mm. it. I, I want to mm. read a five-page document. Um, right. Somebody earlier today was talking about, please don't ever send me slides. <laughs> I, want, I want slide decks to die. So, I mean, it's listening to things of that nature. And that's, mm. that's the hard thing is it's not, it's not a copy paste repeatable process right, right now. So right. I think from being on the outside, it's as important to learn how do you transfer knowledge or information that's, that that person's going to hear, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which is a different way to, to kind of approach it. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, we need you for 10 hours. Come look at this thing. Give us, you know, a, a write up when you're done and, you know, introduce us to XYZ tool that you think is great. And off we go. And mm-hmm. that feels a little cold. Um, my personal preference is I want to see that the things that I am helping with or mm-hmm. giving guidance towards are actually working. And so that continued right. even like, let's do a, you know, an hour a month. Let's just check in what, you know, kind of gut check each other on, on what, what do you need from me? How's it working? How's it not? Um, so it's, I don't like the, the aspect of the one and done. I like mm-hmm. more of the relationship aspect of it. I gotcha. I gotcha. That makes sense. It, having been a founder, 
What is your kind of big take on working with founders as a consultant? I mean, it can be tricky, right? But also it can be really <laughs> meaningful and, and awesome, right? But again, it can be tricky. <laughs> so how, how has that kind of informed your experiences? First time founder or multiple time founder? It's a little Ooh, bit different. Good question. Yeah, let's say let's start with first time. Let's start with first time. Okay, uh, it depends on the stage of where they are at. Mm. So, you guys probably cut this as a clip, but I'll, I'm gonna say it out loud anyway. Yeah. Um, if if they've started getting some market fit and dollars mm. are starting to happen, yeah, uh, the ego tends to get a little bit bigger. And they don't listen to their customers as much. Right. So, and when I, and in this economy right now, you definitely mm-hmm. need to be leaning in. If you've got 10, 20, 50 customers, those yeah. are the people who are finding value in what you're building, who can inform the next layer of finding more people like them. Right. And right. when you're working with uh, a founder who has mm-hmm. an idea in their head, the ego sometimes can take over. I call it the ego monger. The ego monger <laughs> takes over and goes, I don't want to listen to the people who are paying me right now. I have this idea over here that I want. Yep. And so you've really got to be able to like nicely tell them they might be wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're wrong forever. It's that they're wrong right now because you yeah. need to keep growing to find customers that are like the ones you have mm-hmm. or you're not going to have a good market fit. So right. it's, I guess I equate it to like mom mode. It's such a, mm-hmm. such a terrible thing. But like, you know, when you're raising a child, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. don't touch the stove. All right, fine. You touch the stove. You got burnt. Shouldn't have done that. So, I mean, yeah, so like, what did we learn? Yeah. You learn. You learn. You know, that was a bad idea. Um, but I think yep. the biggest thing is like, and I learned this lesson years and years mm-hmm. ago, but a first time founder will chase those dollars and they will become like, betrothed to the largest customer to mm-hmm. build whatever said customer wants. And then you lose sight of building for the collective because you're mm. building for the one. And right. so that's something that you definitely, you have to gut check somebody on mm-hmm. because you know, I came out of a business review meeting and they want us to go do blah, blah, blah. And you go, wait, but nobody else wants that. And you yep. have an engineering staff of six people. Mm-hmm. And one poor UX junior designer, because yeah. you're trying to get scrappy. And if you go do this thing over here, you're going to lose all the other things over there. And mm-hmm. so you have to, of course, correct people of a fair no, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I, you know, needless to say, I think a lot of people, including myself, have definitely been in this situation, especially in consulting. I think it can be a little bit more prevalent sometimes, right? Um Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about that multi-time founder. What's kind of the, uh, what does that look like? Is that a little bit different? Um, it can be, it yeah. can be different. Um, my old co-founder was, uh, was a multi-time founder, um, very different, different spaces of tech, but, um, the multi-time founder in my experience is more leaned into the business process. Mm. Versus the first time founder is very leaned into the product fit. Product. I see. I see. So there's a little bit different there. And I, I have found my opinion mm-hmm. is that the multi, you know, you hit it out of the park a couple of times, or you've tried and failed several times. Mm-hmm. You tend to be more humble to listen to advisement. Right. Um, you still owes that person still always has the idea of what their you know their baby that right. they want to 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 grow up, but um, generally a little bit more open to kind of collaboration and and you know less digging their heels in, mm-hmm. um, but understands the value of you know a sales process, understands the value of support and customer success coming in. Um, you know, if it's product-led growth, they they get that the product needs to be good enough so that somebody can, you know, figure it out, adopt it, and buy more. Yeah. Um, so, just just different pain points. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's I really appreciate you kind of elaborating on that. That makes a lot of sense. So, I, I do have uh, just one last question for you. Sure. Um, which is, 
What is your hot take on the state of the tech industry today? I have a sense, <laughs> but I, I could be surprised. Oh, that's loaded. <laughs> hot take on state of tech. Ooh. I think that there is a lot. I, I live in the B2B space. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of B2B tech that is not mission critical. Mm. So do I think that the days of, you know, churn are still coming? I do. Yeah. Um, I think there's been so much investment, mm-hmm. so many things that were nice to have that were built that didn't really dig in and solve real business problems. Mm-hmm. that a lot of the, those are going to go to the wayside. Can I ask, do you have a particular stripe of technology in mind there? Not really. No. I, I mean, there's a lot. God, there's like, if you go look at like uh, the MarTech landscape mm-hmm. from 10 years yeah. ago to today, holy shit. Right. <laughs> you can't mm-hmm. even figure out. There's yeah. so many of these like little niche tools out there. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's a lot in my world, my background coming from kind of the social media data and licensing of third party data, you know, there's companies that are just going to go under because they can't afford to buy it. Mm. So that's an example. Um, but I don't have, I don't have like one swim lane that pops in. I just think, you know, if you've got a director or a lower level, who's paying you, you know, five, $10,000 a year procurement and budgets are being looked at far more in detail than they Mm -hmm. were, you know, two, three years ago. Um, So I think a lot of those, the more of the small players are just going Mm -hmm. to uh, have lots of fall off because a lot of the bigger players, particularly in MarTech um, Mm -hmm. have built in good enough functionality that it replaces the little niche tool. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. That makes a ton of sense. I definitely, I would agree with that for sure. Um, across kind of different spaces, right? I think uh, like analytics is, is a prime example, right? And and mar- marketing analytics, marketing tech in general. Um, I've definitely, even a couple of years ago, there was a lot more tools, small tools that were on my radar and, and plugged into my stack than today. Yeah. There's a... I- I can't tell you the number of times people ask me for an analytics API so it would plug into, you know, Power BI or Tableau or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's mm-hmm. like, we don't want to go there. We want it to be in your in your softwares. You know, give a right. don't make us go somewhere else. So it's just yeah. It's it's again, it's an it's an evolution of of just sort of how people work and they're tool fatigued, honestly. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. The bar is getting higher, right? I, I do think that that is one thing that you know, I, I don't know if it's chicken and the egg with AI, right? But um, the uh, simplicity and ease of use of not ever having to leave a single platform is going to be kind of the next big win, right? I think I agree with you. And that, that could be an ecosystem play. Mm-hmm. It could mm-hmm. be, you know, tool A plugs in nicely with tool B. Right. Uh, tool, you know, the Salesforce effect where you've just got mm-hmm. the entire HubSpot's just the same thing. You could just plug and play all these different things. And then, you know, the user sits there and does their work and is none the wiser that it's actually 10 tools behind the scenes all doing the work. Exactly. Um, exactly. I think that's definitely going to continue. It's, it's already a come to fruition, but it's, it's mm-hmm. going to. No, I completely agree. That's a good one. Well, Erica, <laughs> this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, where can people find you, follow you, check you out? LinkedIn is where I am hanging my hat. I said goodbye to Twitter. So that is the best spot. You know, Erica Jenkins, you'll mm-hmm. find me immediately. Uh, and that would love to hear from people. Or if this was valuable, um, you know, reach out, send me a private message and happy to awesome. chat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Erica. Thanks, Max. It was lovely. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks. You too.